We are coming down the home stretch of a series that we have entitled Becoming Who You Are. We've been making our way through a New Testament letter called Ephesians. And in the concluding section of that, the Apostle Paul tells people that he cares about, people who are part of a church, that there's a battle. And in this world, there are all kinds of battles, right? He's going to talk about a spiritual battle. But there are different kinds of battles that also help us understand that spiritual battle battle. You know, there are some folks who describe even, you know, a game like football as being a battle. And last weekend, there were some battles played out on the field. And one in particular that I want to focus on is this one, um, where the Cowboys um, won 40 to nothing. In fact, somebody snapped a picture of one of the Cowboy players walking off the field. um, And there it is. Um, It was pretty good. Um, But enough of that. Um, Let me tell you about another battle. This one is a real battle. And I heard this on a podcast, and it's just an amazing story. In 1944, a Japanese soldier named Hiroo Onoda was placed onto a remote island in the Philippines, and he had a small group of men together with him, and he was given two orders, don't die and don't surrender. And so they were going to live off the land, and they were going to control that island, and they were going to keep an eye out for the enemy, don't die, don't surrender. So they've spent an entire year there. Well, the next year in 1945, Japan surrendered. And the country knew it, but Hiroo Onoda and his men did not. And so they continued to fight. And they continued to live in that jungle. And from time to time, they had some conflict with locals. Well, people recognize there are some people who have not heard that the war ended. And so they dropped leaflets over there telling him that the war was over and that Japan had surrendered. And he picked up one of those leaflets and he read it and he thought, the enemy is trying to trick me. And I've been given two orders. Don't die and don't surrender. So he crumpled that up and threw that away. They even went so far as to take pictures of Hiroo's family in Japan with signs that say, the war is over, Japan has surrendered, please come home. And when he picked up one of those leaflets with the pictures of his family on it, he thought, the enemy has gone to great lengths to try to get us to surrender. And they crumpled that up and they threw it away. So they continued to fight for 30 years. His men eventually contracted some diseases in those jungles and died, and he was there all by himself. And in 1974, they came up with an idea. Let's take his original commanding officer who had given him those two commands, fly him to that island, meet with Hiroo, and finally he was relieved of his duty. And there's actually an image of him turning over his weapons in 1974. He went back to Japan and said, man, has this place changed? (laughs) It was very different. But it's a story that I think helps us understand something about what we're going to read in these verses in just a moment. Because what the Apostle Paul tells us is that in this world, there is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. But the outcome of the war has already been determined. That Jesus has won the war. When he was nailed to a cross, Jesus said, amongst other things, this word, tetelestai, which is translated as, it is finished. But there's an enemy who is still fighting a battle. The outcome of the war does not hang in the balance, but there's a battle. And you and I encounter it all the time. 
And so the Apostle Paul writes to some people that he cares about, trying to inform them about the realities of this battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of our own might, of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. And we talked about this already. Important to be reminded. The couple of mistakes we can make with this. One, we make this everything. There's a demon under every bush and everything is purely and 100% spiritual in nature. The mistake that comes along with that is we might shirk personal responsibility. And sometimes, you know what? It was my call and I didn't make it. And so that's a mistake. But the other mistake is to make it nothing. And to say, you know what? This is just the stuff of fairy tales and what people believe before we knew a whole lot of other things. And that's a mistake too. Because there is a battle. And in this world, there are some enemies of our soul that the Bible talks about. And what are the things that are really working against us? Three things the Bible talks about. The world, the world is a broken place. Have you recognized that? Have you ever received any bad advice in this world of ours? Um, it happens in a broken world. Well, then there's also the flesh, and that's in the New Testament, a word that is used to describe this fallen soul or nature that we have within ourselves. Have you ever even thought you had the best of intentions, but it didn't turn out right? And everybody has been there and done that. Why is it that we can't even get ourselves under control? Because there's a battle inside of our hearts and souls. And even when we begin to follow Jesus, there's still a battle inside of us. And then there's the devil, God's adversary, God's enemy. And so God has an enemy that Jesus described as the father of lies, the one who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he will appeal to the fallen part of who we are. And those ideas, and maybe even sometimes those lies, can be reinforced by the culture and the world around us. And it's a battle that we all face. But in this battle, we are not defenseless. And so the Apostle Paul goes on, therefore, in light of the reality of that battle, it's not everything, but it's not nothing, it's something. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, the day of trouble, the day of testing, the day of, of, of difficulty, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes fitted for your feet, having put on the readiness given to you by the gospel of peace. And we've looked at those one by one in the most recent weeks. And today we're going to focus on this. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So Paul, what does that mean? What does the shield of faith mean? Faith can seem so large and nebulous and fuzzy. What exactly is that? And what does it mean to take it up? Because earlier in the same letter called Ephesians, you already talked about how they put their faith in Jesus. So what does it mean to take it up? And it's a consistent theme throughout this letter where the Apostle Paul is saying, look, faith is not just some abstract thing outside of yourself. It's something to use. It's something to make personal. It's something to apply to real life. So take up the shield of faith. Don't just have this awareness that there is a God, but plug your faith into real life and journey together with it. 
And then studying the shield of faith, you know, we've talked about this already, that the Apostle Paul is using a metaphor. He's in a Roman prison cell, and the custom was for a guard to be stationed outside of that prison cell. And so he could have well been looking at one of those guards and saying, you know what, they've got a whole bunch of armor. I can apply that as these pictures, these metaphors to the spiritual battles that we face. And he talks about a shield. So did a little research on Roman shields, and there are two kinds. One maybe you've seen in a movie like one of the greatest movies ever made, Gladiator, you know, where they're in the arena and they have this wooden circular shield there. It's kind of small, but this is the other one. It's called a scuda. And that's from the root word from which we get the word door. And it is a large shield. It was about five feet tall and two and a half feet wide. It was used and made of layers of pressed wood and then leather put on the outside. And when you went into battle, it was dipped in water to extinguish flaming arrows that might be shot at you by your enemy. But here's the thing about the armor of God in general and especially about even the shield of faith. There are a lot of images like this when it talks about taking up the armor of God couple problems with this picture. One is the armor is about a thousand years off. It's a lot later than the first century. But here's the other thing. So many of these pictures are one soldier all by themselves. And we might get the idea, that's right, me to take up the armor of God so that I can fight my battle and all the things that come against just me in my life. But in looking at how Roman shields were used, especially the scuda, this five-foot shield, they were designed to be used in formations. They were designed to be used in cooperation with others. They were designed to be used standing shoulder to shoulder with other people. In fact, my favorite... Um, picture, modern reenactment of a formation is this one. It's called the tortoise. And you can kind of see why that is. The guys in the front put their shields down. The ones behind put it up on top. And if those shields in the front were put down on the ground and then the ones on top were brought on top of that, it actually says in history as a matter of historical record, you could drive a chariot and put a horse on top of it. It was that strong. But it was used together with others. It was not just one soldier standing all by themselves. That's a scary way to go into battle. But they went into battle connected to each other. And the arrows that were shot in ancient forms of warfare, that's not how you won war. You didn't, you didn't win a battle by just shooting some arrows. You know what they were used for? To divide, to disorient, and to cause fear to be instilled in the troops. How did you overcome that? You stay together and you keep the formation and you continue to be shoulder to shoulder. So with that background in mind, let's talk about what it actually means to take up the shield of faith. How do we do that? How do we use faith in a way in which it serves us day by day and in the battle that we face. Well, the first thing that we can know is that the shield of faith protects. 
And I think you already saw that in some of the images that were there. And it is a protection that is talked about in a number of different ways in the Bible. This is from Peter, who was also one of the people who walked with Jesus. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, and here's that same spiritual battle, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your what? In your faith. A couple things about the description of the devil here. One, he's called the lion, which puts him in the cat family. So I'm just going to connect the dots for you. Cats are evil. It's right here in the Bible. So your adversary is one. Um, and he's, you know, prowling. He's like a hunter. And I don't know how many of you have ever seen some of these nature shows where you're watching, you know, things play out on the plains of Africa. I think it's fascinating. And it's kind of a picture like that. And God's adversary is pictured like a lion. And this is the way that lions really hunt. They can't attack an entire herd. What they try to do is separate one from the rest. And maybe it's someone who's distracted in that herd. Maybe it's somebody who is sick. Maybe it's somebody who is young. But they try to get someone all by themselves. In fact, I came across um, this video here, and there's some lions, and they're chasing this herd of water buffalo. And the water buffalo are way bigger, and they could never handle the whole herd. What they're trying to do is separate one. And actually, there's a part of this video that I'm not going to show you because it's pretty graphic because they got one separated. And one's hanging on the neck, and the other is up on its back, and it's pretty, pretty gruesome. But then the herd turns around. And you know what's stronger than a pride of lions hunting for their next meal? is a herd of water buffalo who come back. And check out what happens when the herd turns around and comes to the defense of their buddy. And off goes the king of the jungle. What is really the application of all of that and what Peter was talking about, about being careful? because your adversary is like a prowling lion. I think what he's helping us to do is to take up the protection that comes from the shield of faith by surrounding yourself with God's people. Don't be a lone water buffalo. Run with a herd. Don't live a life of faith all on your own. Connect yourself to other people. The shield of faith is meant to be used shoulder to shoulder in formation, in conjunction with other people. It's a real trendy thing in our day, um, and I've heard this more and more as the time has gone on. You know what? I don't need a church to connect with God and to know God, and you know what? I totally agree with that. You can be on a desert island all by yourself, and you can know God, and you can love God and put your trust in God. But you know what you can't do there? You can't walk with others and experience the protection that comes from it. We are more vulnerable when we are all by ourselves, when we are a lone water buffalo. We're much more protected when we run with a herd. Have you ever had a moment in your life where your faith has wavered? And that's a rhetorical question, right? Because the answer is implied in it. Everybody has, me too. Have you ever had those moments where it feels like evil is winning and good is losing? Have you ever had doubts creep in? And of course we have. 
And there are ways in which being surrounded by God's people give us protection in those moments because maybe when our faith is wavering, somebody else's is not. And there's a way in which that strengthens us. And maybe on another day, somebody else is wavering. And you know what they need? They need your faith. They need to hear how you walked through that hard time and what you did when you had some questions or prayers that went unanswered. We need others and they need us and we were made to use faith in community with other people to take up that shield and be shoulder to shoulder. One specific way to do that, you know, we talked about the connection card. I have one of them right here. And on this connection card, when we talk about surrounding ourselves with God's people, we say, well, isn't that what we're doing right now? I'm talking more about being a part of a small group where we can talk about things like what we're struggling with and wrestling with. It's not a one-way communication like it is right now, but the arrows are going in all directions. And we hear what people are, you know, either celebrating or struggling with, and we get the opportunity to share faith in many ways. If you want to be part of a small group, and if you're not, can I just tell you, we were designed for that shield of faith to be used, surrounded by God's people. Mark this connection card, drop it in one of the boxes when you head out, and we will do everything we can to get you into a small group because we were made not to be a lone water buffalo, but to run with a herd. How about the Apostle Paul? This guy wrote like half the New Testament. Did he have any of those kind of needs? Apparently so. This is from a different letter, the book of Romans. When we get together, Paul hoped to go to Rome one day. I want to encourage you and your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. That faith is this mutual encouragement deal. And that only happens when we are walking together when we are not on our own. So first, the shield of faith protects. It also strengthens us. And I don't know if you caught it and you wondered, what is that talking about? Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What are flaming darts? And what is that talking about? In the Bible, over and over again, um, fire often refers to different forms of suffering, of struggle, and I don't know if you're familiar with the story of a man named Job in the Old Testament. He's kind of the poster child for that. He's successful. He has pretty much everything. And then there's this curious beginning to this book where it says that Satan comes before God. And he says, you know what? That guy, Job, he only follows you because of all the gifts that you give to him. He's only in it for the blessings. You take those away and he'll drop you like a hot rock. The accusation is he's a hypocrite. Because followers worship God and they use things. Hypocrites worship things and use God. And so how do you find out? Well, take away the things. And in Job's life, that's what happening, what God allowed within parameters. And as Job is journeying through that time, you know what he discovers? Because we might ask the question, so what is he? Is he a true follower or is he a hypocrite? And the answer is yes. And he has a little bit of what we've all known that there's some faith and there's some doubt and there's plenty of questions and there is pressing on. He comes through it in the end. And just as it says in the book of Isaiah, that when you walk through the fire, it will not burn you, 
that ultimately God will have the final say. And he held on to that even when the circumstances around him were telling him something different. So faith strengthens us for the journey that many times includes fire, that includes suffering. One other example of that comes from Jesus' own life. He had talked a number of times about ultimately being crucified and being tortured and being put to death and that he was going to take up his life again. His disciples, it just went right past them. As they were making their way to Jerusalem where Jesus knew he was going to be put on trial and ultimately crucified, you know what they were talking about? Which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? This Jesus train is going up and to the right and we're going to be famous and we're going to have all kinds of things in our lives. Jesus going to die. And so when they get there, Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. And you know what Peter does? Peter blows it. And Peter denies Jesus three times. And I think that's the circumstance that we can identify with because you know what happened in that moment to Peter? It was the death of a dream of where I thought my life was going, my life even with Jesus. But that's not what happened. And I think many of us have experienced when a dream goes to die. And what was Peter thinking? Which one of us is going to be the greatest? Man, we've seen him heal people and he's brought people back from the dead. There are stretch limos in my future. Maybe a stretch camel back then. And all of a sudden, it takes a turn. And Jesus sees Peter and Peter sees Jesus after his denial and there's this moment in which a dream has gone to die and I think we know what that is like. And Jesus made this statement before this event happened. He said, Peter, Satan sought to sift you like wheat to shake you and your faith. But Peter, I prayed for you and when you endure, go back to the brothers and strengthen them. So faith is something that gets us through even some of the most difficult times that include moments of suffering in this broken world. Take up the shield of faith. So it protects us and it also um, strengthens us. How do we do that? How do we move in that direction? Spend time in God's word. Where do we get the truth that will contradict some of the lies that we've buy into or that are in this broken world or maybe a part of the struggle that's inside of our, our own flesh, our own self. We find it in God's word and we speak God's truth into our lives. Not my truth, not your truth, not the world's truth. We speak God's truth. When Jesus was tempted and he was going through a trial, how did he answer? It is written. Jesus knew the Bible really well and he gave him direction and truth in some of the hardest moments. So the shield of faith protects, it strengthens, it also saves. How is it that people are made right with a holy God? They take up the shield of faith. This from a little bit earlier in this same letter, for by grace you have been saved. How are we saved? By grace, through faith. How do we take hold of that? How do we take possession of the gift that is God's saving grace? And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we may think, well, an awareness of God is having faith. But this tells us there is a personal step to take because faith is action-oriented. We do it in community, and we do it by strengthening ourselves in the hardest moments. And here we do it by making it personal and taking personal possession of God's gift of grace.
Maybe I can illustrate it for you um, this way. Let me show you this picture here. Um, this is not the exact helicopter, but I flew in a helicopter like this when I was a teenager. And there was a pilot, he flew 747s, and he was test driving this helicopter, and he was one of our neighbors. He said, hey, would you, me and my best friend, would you like to come on this test flight? We're like, yeah, fly in a helicopter, we're there. And so we go, and we drive a county away from where we lived, and we get in this helicopter, he starts it up. And it was a little disconcerting at first, because we went about 15 feet in the air, and then just fell back to the ground. He's like, oh, yeah, I think I forgot to do something. He pulled a lever over here, it's like, Hey, is there a checklist we can go through with you? You know, are there any other things, you know, that you've left undone? But he just took off. And we flew over, and the goal was to go to our homes and kind of fly over them and take a look at them, which, how cool is that? Now, he told us about, you know, the capabilities of the helicopter, and most of the cockpit there is just clear, you know, plastic. And so as we're going up, you know, all is well. We're flying straight and level, and all of a sudden, there we are by our home, and he banks this thing. He's over on the left side, my friend's in the middle, and I'm on the right-hand side. He banks over on my side, right above my house. And I react, and I push back. And he looks down because now I'm leaning into my friend. My friend is leaning into him. And he looks over. He goes, lean with it. And I said, you bank on your side and you lean with it. <laughs> because now I'm looking down. I don't know how far that was, but I'm looking through clear plastic and it's a long way down. Now he told me that stuff is really strong and it can hold you. Yeah, right. You lean your way. <laughs> now here's the thing with faith is that we can know about it. But what we're invited to do is to put our trust in it, to trust God's grace. One of the verses that was a big part of my own journey of coming to faith, I grew up in church. I heard about God all the time. If you had asked me if I thought there was a God, I would have said, yeah, of course. It was never personal. And then one day I heard a verse out of the book of James, and it says, even the demons believe and they tremble. Demons know true things about God, so it's not just an awareness. It's not just knowing stuff. It's personal. And invites us to put our trust in God's grace. To go beyond awareness. Because faith is action-oriented. And it protects us and others around us. It strengthens us for the hard days. And it begins even by making us right with the Holy God. Faith is action-oriented. If you have never taken that step of faith and trust, I'm going to invite you to do something. There's a word here that you can text. Text the word trust to that number. And the reason why is because we want to get some information to you that we think will be really, really helpful to getting that relationship with God underway and practically how we can make that a reality day after day. And it'd be our, our delight to be able to get that to you. Would you pray together with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for sharing reality with us, a reality that we wouldn't understand all on our own. Thank you for telling us that there's a battle. There's a battle within ourselves. There's a battle in the world around us. 
But thank you also for the hope that we have in you, that you've won the war. And so God, as we face that battle day after day, would you help us to be fully armored? And would you help us especially to take up the shield of faith, to use it, to apply it to life? And God, I pray that you would strengthen our level of trust in you. And God, if we've never stepped across that line, maybe today's the day to say, God, I've fallen short. I need your grace. Thank you for providing it. And so I put my trust in you. I put my faith in your grace and in you, Jesus, and all that you have done. And I want to walk with you all my days. God, thank you for your patience with us day by day. And go with us into this coming week and help us to take up the shield of faith in real life moments. We ask and pray that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.